Okay, hello everyone. This is the bonus podcast, and uh, I'm glad to welcome my beloved guest Eric McCollum in some crazy circumstances with some breaking news just right before the podcast with some late podcast absences as well. There are just two of us, but I'm just every time I have Eric on the podcast, I'm I'm so I'm super excited, and every time I'm super excited to hear his thoughts. And there are a lot of things to discuss uh, on this podcast. So first of all, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Uh, off season time usually the best time to talk, right? Yeah, Karshiaka made this announcement about you staying in the club for one more season. Yes, it was yesterday, right? We record. Yes, we yes. were recording it on Monday. And I actually thought that it was a clear two-year deal. So I was sure. surprised that it was even announced. For sure, but I think a lot of people didn't know, so they just wanted you know, everyone to be mm. on the same page, I believe. And also, probably in Europe, you can't be secure <laughs> yeah. about your future, right? So <laughs> yeah, it has yeah, to be they... announced every year, <laughs> in some situations, every month, like in China. So Yeah, you could have a two-, three-, four-year deal, as we see, and you know, it's really not as guaranteed as you think. So <laughs> I'm just thankful to be returning. Um, I had fun there. I enjoyed myself. And you know, I think it was a successful season. And you know, I'm looking forward to seeing those fans again and, and my family returning to the city. Yeah, you were close. You were close. Amazing running the Turkish Championship. We were also close of getting an, the champ, actually, on this podcast, Will Clyburn, who had an amazing season ending uh, both individually and for, for FS. Uh, but as I said, there's a lot of things to discuss on this podcast, including few of the hottest kind of free agents, but I would say players to hit the market this off season. Also, we have this situation with Barca. We were about to discuss Nikola Mirotic uh, exiting his uh, long-term contract, but now we will go, we will discuss Sharuna Sisikai, which was parting ways with Barca. Uh, I have questions for you about Victor Vambanyama, about Team USA actually uh, basically uh, having the roster confirmed for the World Cup. A lot of a lot of things to discuss in this podcast, but let's share our reactions about this whole situation in Barcelona. First of all, when many thought that Sharunas' Gauchos will stay, the club announced that he is leaving and more surprising, Roger Grimau, the former head coach of their youth team and, of course, former legend of Barcelona, is taking over for the next two years. So your initial reaction reading these news? I was surprised um, just because Ronis had done a good job there. Um, you know, Obviously, they didn't get the coveted year-lead title, but um, he had a lot of success um, in uh, the Copa de Rio. Um, Within the Spanish at ACB, he won a title coming off that year. It's not easy. You know, Real Madrid was the year lead champions and, you know, they kind of dominated that series, um, with the sweep. So I just thought like he had them on up and up. You know, they were always right there, you know, from, you know, getting that year lead title, whether it was getting to the final four and maybe a, a shot or two here or there or a possession there. They were right there and you could just see that they were playing quality basketball and the team was, um, a power. Um, in Europe. And I think before he got there, there were some struggles. I seen a stat that showed basically like in the last eight years, um, he's won as many or more titles um, before he got there as in his three-year period. So, you know, it was very impressive. Like he was able to do something in three years that those other coaches weren't able to do in eight. So, you know, I think sometimes teams overreact and, you know, really big, strong clubs 
um, they take success for granted. And because you have a big name, because you have had success in the past and tradition, you start to believe that it's like that every year. And it's not, you know, you need the right team, you need health, you need the right coach, the right system. And I think it's unfortunate that he was let go because you know, he's coming off a championship. Like, you know, you don't want to see that, you know, for coaches or for players or anybody like he deserved that. Um, at least an extension, another year to try at it again, you know, with a ACB title. So you know, I'm sure he'll land on his feet. You know, he's a respected coach. He'll be in a good job somewhere. Just a matter of time of when, um, not if. Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, if you're replacing Sharuna Sisikavichus with Roger Grimau, it really proves that you're on a big budget cut and it was a very surprising move. I haven't heard anything close to that. If not Charas, everybody was thinking that, okay, maybe they're in negotiations with uh, Xavi Pascal. Maybe it's Ioannis Foropoulos. Maybe it's Andrea Trinkieri. So it came at, out of nowhere, but this this move really proves that Barca will have different financial capabilities uh, the following year. Many players are set to leave the club, starting with Nikola Mirotic, but you made a good point. First of all, thanks for following me on Twitter because that stat you saw was from my Twitter feed. Uh, in three years for Barca, Barca Sharas won two of three ACB titles, two of three Copa del Rey titles. Uh, he made all, uh, the final four in all three seasons. And as you mentioned, it took nine years for Barca to win two ACB titles before and eight years to clinch four major domestic uh, league trophies. Uh, but there's this one thing. Uh, when I tweeted this, of course, uh, I received a lot of uh, funny comments that this tweet was sponsored by Shuruna Sasekavichus for his new extension. <laughs> but uh, can you expand? In, it's also related to the question that I have about Nikola Mirotic and evaluating his tenure in Barca because for many European fans, but I think it's also related uh, to NBA fans, if you're not winning the championship, it's a failure. And for Barca, many treat that Barca for these few years they have at least top two budget in Europe with Real Madrid. If you're not making, if you're not winning the Euroleague, many people consider it as a failure, as a bust, both for Mirotic, maybe both for Barca and Sharunas Iskavicius. What do you think about if if that's fair, uh, or I mean, you you see some sense in, in a way that you spend so much money, or let's say in three years, maybe something close to. 120 millions just to win the EuroLeague and you don't. I mean, I sense the disappointment. You know, I understand, you know, where they're coming from in that aspect, but it's not a failure. Um, I mean, if you just look at the track record of so many teams with those big budgets, if that was the case, um, those teams would win the EuroLeague every year, but they don't. Like, EuroLeague's been around for a while and you don't see teams, you know, the same teams winning every season. Like, there's always some upsets. There's always some years where you know, Panathinaikos was great and they had a down period, you know, um, Cheska was, you know, always getting there kind of like Barcelona, did, but they just couldn't get over the hump. And then they finally were able to get over the hump with some championships. Um, you know, with Madrid, they're always in the mix, but they don't win every year. Barcelona, like, it's just, they're a big power, but there's, you know, always another five or six teams who are in the mix. And it's, you know, it's not realistic to expect a title every year. If that's the case, most of these organizations have failed probably 95% of their existence because some years are not going to win um, a yearly title. Like, it doesn't mean it's a failure if you win ACB, um, if you win your cup, your domestic cup, whatever the case may be, or, you know, if the team shows growth, um, some years the main guy could be hurt. 
Um, they could throw everything off rhythm. Um, maybe you came in with a lot of new players. The chemistry isn't fully developed. You're playing against other teams who've been together four or five years. Like, There's so many different factors that have to do with the championship that just because you spent a lot of money doesn't mean all players will miss. All things will go right. I mean, it takes time. It's a process. And I think that's probably what you saw this year with FS with them getting those new pieces, having guys in and out the rotation. Like I'm sure they'll play better next year. Um, now that they have that uh, chemistry and that continuity, you know, and it's probably why you see Real Madrid continue to have so much success because they don't have much turnover. It's those same guys and they're getting older. Yeah, they're 35, 36, 37. But with, you know, all the science, all the um, advancements um, in sports and saving your body, you're seeing older guys being able to play at a high level. But that continuity, that chemistry, that leadership, that's the difference. So I think anytime you can keep a coach and the core of a team together for a while and you throw in a couple pieces, you know, one or two different players, you have a greater chance, but to expect championships every year, I don't care if you're Barcelona, I don't care if you're Madrid, uh, Finner, doesn't matter who you are. Like it's just not possible, um, you know, in a modern day Euroleague. Yeah, I agree with you. And especially, I think that, okay, regular season don't matter in the end, but I think it's also a good indicator how well the team, the coach is doing. And I mean, we all can agree that Barca won, was one of the best EuroLeague teams in the last three years. Uh, they were always consistent, no matter who was playing. A lot of players were injured. Mirotic was out for six months. Nikolaitis was out the last season for a, a long uh, stretch uh, of, of the season. So their pap, Cody Higgins, I mean, their main scorer basically missed both final fours. And your season, this whole continuity this whole process is judged by two games in three days over one weekend so it probably tells a lot about the how unfair the system of the EuroLeague uh, is when you decide the championship in two games basically so a lot of is based on the momentum uh but there's another uh, you know perspective of the situation how do you feel as a player when you're judged by the titles and because uh that's the same thing in the NBA. All these legends, maybe they're getting less respect or they're even disrespected because they haven't won the title. Uh, at the same time, maybe even players, when they try to rank those greats, they say, oh, he won like six, uh, like MJ won the six titles. LeBron is still uh, is still behind because of that, because he didn't prove that he, he can take this team uh, on the top. How do you feel about these evaluations? Uh, dependent on on the titles i mean it's just if you're a player or someone who's deep involved in a game you know whether it's on the analytical side whether it's somebody who's like you know how, how difficult it is to win a championship like i don't think greatness is always um predicated on the amount of championships players win um i think because that is a team thing and this is a team game okay one player can control the outcome of game sometimes at the end, one player can, you know, elevate the play of his teammates, can make an organization better, but one player cannot win alone, no matter how special, how great that player is. You know, you've seen if you compare an NBA, everybody watched uh, the last dance. You know, Michael Jordan was special. He was unguardable. But until help arrived, you know, Scottie Pippen, you know, you get those guys coming in, that chemistry getting built, those other players, those key role guys, that's when you've seen them start to advance in the playoffs, to start to be able to get over those Pistons teams, those Celtics teams, and to be able to win championships. Did that take away from his greatness? No. Was he just as good with zero championships as he was with three? Of course. But 
on the outside looking in, you're going to evaluate that. You're not going to think he's as high level player. Like just because someone, you know, doesn't have a year league or maybe has four or five, it doesn't make you a better player than someone. Yes, you've been on a big stage. Yes, you were able to have more team success. But individually, um, if you have an eye for the talent for the game of basketball, you know who's special and who's not. And I think um, fans put a lot of uh, titles um, when they match it with greatness. I don't think it's accurate, especially in Europe, with teams having unequal budgets, um, teams having advantages when it comes to facilities, resources, um, travel. Um, every team is not built equally. So it's just unfair to expect someone coming from an inferior um, situation to constantly uh, defeat and be better than the superior teams, not just roster wise. I'm talking about financially death, um, uh, how they're able to rotate guys, how your body's able to be fresh, how guys can play less minutes. Like some teams, guys, the teams don't have the budget. Guys have to play 30 minutes, 35 minutes a game. Like it's just not the same when you're on the team that can play 20 minutes and you can be rested throughout the whole year or a main guy can be out and you still go to the final four. Like, that that can't happen to majority of teams that we've seen. Uh, Kevin Punter was out, um, and they were a different team. Like it just was not the same. And that's the impact of a team who is good but does not have the power, power, or the budget of some of those those big dogs, and they're not able to withstand one player being missing. Whereas at Barcelona, Curry Higgins is out all season, maybe one of their best players, arguably. And it's almost like, okay, they weren't as good, but they still had great results, still got to the Final Four, still were a championship contender. No one questioned that. Yeah, interesting updates in Barcelona camp. Uh, together with Sharunas, it is expected that Nikola Mirotic will leave the club. Corey Higgins, despite having a contract for the next year, is, is expected to leave. I heard that uh, the same goes with Nicolas Laprovitola. Uh, probably from the guys that are on expiring contracts there's mike toby uh somebody else there were rumors that sertat shanley also will leave but again we saw reports that uh, there are there are positive uh feelings about the potential renewal although there were positive feelings about shoulder ssk which is staying in the club as well so it's it's very tricky when it comes with uh, this information that is um, getting on media uh and yeah for, from what i heard about roger Gimau, I, I didn't hear much. I even tried to go through my sources quickly. Uh, again, we had like 30 or 60 minutes to prepare for for this podcast after the breaking news about Shurnas which was, um I saw some some guys from Barcelona uh, tweeting and saying that he's a basketball maniac. He loves the game a lot. He's very passionate. Uh, he, he, he was known as, as a guy who brings a lot of passion to the game. Uh, he was not the most athletic player on the court. He was not the best shooter. I actually read a great tweet from the tweet Twitter profile that you must follow. It's Savas BDL, S-A-V-A-S-B-D-L. And he tweeted, gotta hope Grimau's coaching isn't anything like his shooting form, which is true, which is true. But <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting move because what's interesting that when Barca made a big rebuild, uh, Xavi Pascal, who just take, took over Barca like 14, 15 years ago, he was also coming from the youth team. But I just think, if I'm not mistaken, he also worked as an assistant coach for probably Dusko Ivanovic. Uh, but he took over the club and they won the championship. The last championship they actually won in the year league in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. So who knows? Who knows? 
but this move just just shows that a lot of changes are coming to one of the EuroLeague powerhouses, and it's it's unclear if they're gonna remain uh, on the top. Regarding Shorunas Sikaiuchis, I don't see many openings in the EuroLeague. Uh, there are these reports about Sergio Scariolo potentially uh, staying in the club after all, after all these rumors. Uh, Monaco, there was this rumor if Sasha Bradovic is staying or not. He also didn't feel very confident about his future, but at the same time, like last week, I think Monaco's GM uh, commented those rumors and he said that, well, Sasha has the contract for the following year, so I don't know why he's so worried. So, I mean, it's it's very interesting because I also heard that Shogun Sisikav just might get the co- uh, get job in the NBA as an assistant coach. And not sure, again, I didn't have enough time to check those rumors. Uh, Actually, I'm reading those rumors right now on our Slack uh, channel. That that's what I've heard too. That Yasekiewicz could be Memphis Grizzlies assistant coach. So, a lot of interesting developments uh, during these days. And maybe him going to the NBA as an assistant coach shows that he has some goals to to you know to get a shot at head coaching in the in, in the NBA. What do you think about this? possibility looking at long term for sure because he has to go through that nba system let's say starting from the assistant coach and then then trying to apply for the head coach job i think he probably has the most realistic step and ladder to the lead just because his experience as a player not only respected in europe everything he's done in the european game but he was also very good in the nba i remember those years in the pacers um and you know those things allow him to be familiar with the style of NBA, how things kind of run from the inside out. And I think now by being an assistant coach, it gives him the chance to see the dynamic, not from a player's perspective, but from a coach's perspective. You know, he can put that experience he had as a player, those things he used, take some of his tactics, the things he learned in Europe. But the NBA is different. Um, I think he knows that he played that. He's he's a smart guy. Um, he'll adjust his style a little bit. Uh, he'll tweak it. But if he puts the time in, um, Memphis has a good team. They have a good young core. You know, they have some immaturity there, but things are in place. And usually when you're an assistant on a team that's a top team um, in its conference, you know, rather top three, top four team usually has playoff success. Those um, coaches get fast-tracked to head coaching positions. So it's smart for him to choose a team. And only as young, that's going to be good for, you know, many years if they're able to continue to retain their players and continue to keep that core. Um, and I think it's a great place to go for him just to continue to boost and push himself. Although the West is very difficult, um, so many good teams, it's, it's tough. I do believe Memphis is probably a top four or five team in the West still. And, you know, when guys are always on the court, when they're not doing crazy things off the court, um, they show that they can be a top two or three team in the West. So I do, I do think he has NBA potential. He has the resume. He has um, the experience. He has the know-how. Now it's just a matter of just adjusting his style. And I think that assistant coaching in the NBA will be a great time for him to see, you know, the differences and interactions with players in Europe compared to NBA and, you know, how to, you know, treat certain players a certain way. It's different in the league. Like, I don't want to say you have to coddle players, but with some players, they they don't respond well to aggressive type of coaching. And that's, as you've seen in the NBA, it gets uh, coaches fired often or, you know, relieved from their duties. So I think um, as a player, he knows that. And uh, we talked about it in many different podcasts, European 
coaches have ultimate power in the NBA, that power is reduced. Um, but they pay you well on time, all, to, all the resources, everything's there, everything's perfect. So, you know, you just, you got to deal with um, uh, having to build a good relationship with your best player, or it could be hard for you as a coach. Yeah, that should be a hell of adjustment for Shulman Sisigavichus, who was uh, radical about trying to make his team playing his way. In the NBA, it's a whole different world, and, and he didn't even hide it. I mean, he, he also mentioned that he cannot watch the NBA basketball because it's so different from what he's, he used to and what he tries to do uh, on European basketball court. So, I don't know, I'm shocked, to be honest. I'm, <laughs> I'm really shocked. And there are a lot of people who think that for Shara, this mental change might be too hard. Maybe this NBA basketball is not for him. I'm not questioning his knowledge. He's one of the, you know, uh, best basketball mas masterminds uh, in, that we have in Europe, uh, starting from his playing years. And now as the head coach, he proved that. Uh, it's about his his way, which is, which, you know, which had this uh, expiration date many years ago in the NBA. So we'll see. You mentioned Western Conference, tight race in the Western Conference. What do you think, how many years it will take for Victor Vembanyama and San Antonio Spurs to, to, to return uh, to the top of the West or to be among the Western Championship contenders or NBA title contenders? Ooh. Uh, the problem is I believe in Victor. I, I think he's special. I think he's a once-in-a-generation talent. I think he's going to be good from day one. I think he probably needs two to three years to really get into his body, adapt to the style of play. Um, and what everyday grueling tasks of the NBA is like, I think he's going to be good from day one, but I think in like three years, you're going to see like him take a huge leap, like just be a different level of a monster. Um, but the team, they're going to be pretty bad early. So they're going to get a lot of draft picks. Spurs usually do a good job of developing young players and they do an excellent job of drafting and putting together the right pieces. I think a lot of it is tied to pop. Um, if Coke Popovich could be there for, a while i think you'll see that ascension start to happen a little sooner but the west is tough okay so you don't want to count golden state because i'd say three three years spurs are going to be terrible um and after the three years i think golden state's core will be pretty much finished um you look at it they're probably 35 ish 34 ish three years draymond clay steph you know will they be able to still win championships i don't know maybe but it's probably not as likely to have a core of three guys who are 37-ish, 38 competing, but you still have Memphis, who's young. You have New Orleans Pelicans, who's young, who's talented. Um, then you throw in the mix. Um, Sacramento, they're going to be special. I mean, they have all the pieces. Their core is in that 25 to 27 range, and they're just growing. Like They have something, and they're building something, which is special because Sacramento – is usually a team that's known as a horrible organization, but you could tell like Mike Brown's changing the narrative and he's getting guys to buy in. And then you think Dallas, well, I mean, Luca's only going to get better. Um, they have Kyrie there. Um, it's a good city. It uh, attracts free agents. Um, that makes it tough as well. And, you know, I'm just thinking about all these teams and I see like the Spurs in Houston as like a young, intriguing bottom type of team that has potential to rise if they can get, one or two free agents and then make all the proper draft moves. So I don't see them returning to like championship caliber in the next five years, but I do see him making an impact and potentially being, you know, fighting for them playing spots, um, maybe in that 
six to eight range, you know, within like four or five years. Cause right now they're just too young. Like they don't have the experience. They have too many young players. They don't have veteran leadership. Um, they don't have anyone who's been there. They need to bring in a vet who's been there to kind of show the young guys the ropes, how to be professional. And I'm sure they're working on all these things, but I do believe in the Spurs organization and what they stand for. And I think there's no better place he could have went to get drafted. There's no distractions. It's a smaller market. They have experience with European players. They've been there, done that. And then as you see on my Instagram, those old players for the Spurs have already took him under his wing. Uh, you already see Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, Mono Ginobili. All these guys are going to be teaching him everything they know, hoping to make his transition as easy as possible. And remember, this is a new place. This is a kid who's played in France his whole life. And now he's going to be a foreigner in another country dealing with a different change of scenery, being away from people that he sees on a regular. Like, it's not easy. And I think he'll adjust, but give him time, let him come into his own. And I think he'll be what everyone expects him to be you know, in due time. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm also a big believer in Victor Van Banyama. Uh, and you actually made some good points about the impact of these vets. Victor himself told that during this dinner with all these legends, he learned about the NBA more than he learned in these years before. That will help for sure. For sure it will help that he'll be in San Antonio. I know even some NBA people think that the draft process was rigged that San Antonio got this first draft pick because, I mean, it made so much sense for everyone to see Victor Vembanyama starting his journey in, in San Antonio. And at the same time, uh, the only concern is his body, probably. We didn't have anything close to him of his size and the way he moves. There were these giants like Yao Ming, like Sean Bradley and all these, Dikembe Matombo, Manute Ball, all these legendary players. And many of them had some health issues uh, related to the enormous uh, body. Probably the latest, latest uh, nature freak that we have, uh, that we had was Zion Williamson. And we saw how tough for him it was to adjust to his body. But at the same time, I think that Vembanyama is a bit different because he has this crazy matured approach toward his body. The way he um, he treats his body, the way he's, he's disciplined about routines, preparing himself. I talked to many people and they said that, hey, this is, this is extraordinary for a 18 year old kid. So I think that will help him a little bit, try to, you know, make sure that his body will be able to, uh, to go through these NBA bodies as well, to, through this 82 game uh, experience. And because regarding his skill, his game, I don't have any doubts. And to be honest, uh, the last year, the last season in French championship, he, he was averaging something close to 25, uh, six points per game. He had this crazy statue that, that I actually had on my laptop right now on my screen, but somewhere I lost it. But anyway, I really believe that he might be averaging even more in his first couple of years in the NBA because I watched the French League finals closely and it didn't, it wasn't like a Metropolitans was forcing their game through Vembanyama. It was, I would say, very natural flow of trying to play team basketball and having this great advantage in the post-up or, or even in the mid-range. And he was a part of the team. It was not just Vembanyama and others. And the way he was involved in the game, 
it was interesting to watch, really. It was not like he was forcing uh, or they were forcing the game. Mbanyama was also acting pretty matured. Monaco did a great job trying to stop him, trying to contain him. But I talked with many people from, from Monaco team and they said that, wow, we were impressed the way he faced the challenge because we were putting everything on him to stop him, uh, to, to, to distract, disturb the team, the flow of the team. But every game, throughout every game, he was really adjusting very well. Uh, they liked his body language. They liked uh, how matured he accepted the challenge and he did some great adjustments throughout the series, even though they swept. And I, I even read those comments on, on Twitter that how could this team with the first and seventh NBA draft pick could be swept in the finals, in the French finals? So, I mean, that's, that's the um, lack of information that the many US basketball fans has about European basketball. It's really tough uh, to beat one of the best teams in Europe, even though you're playing at the French League Finals, even though you have top seven, two, two, two draft picks from the top seven, and you have this generational talent. He, he was and just not ready peaked. yet. They haven't even peaked yet. They're still, they're still children, exactly. like young, young men. Yeah, playing against grown men with a lot of EuroLeague and NBA experience. So. It was basically no chance for him for them to to have high hopes on on winning those series. But but yeah, uh, never mind. I, I just had this question for you. I also asked this uh, many Monaco players. What do you think is the most underrated Vambanyama's skill that he is bringing to the NBA, uh, or might be overlooked by his size or ability to shoot from the outside? I think everyone's going to look at the the appeal of like his movements, um, his handle, how he's able to shoot the basketball, all the offensive things. I think that's really underrated is um, his shot block and his defense. Like he has great timing. Some of the things I'm watching just special, like how he's able to recover those second jumps. Um, and usually guys who are that tall, like they usually have foul problems. You know, he stays out of foul trouble. You know, he uses his body, his length. You know, he keeps. He's really good at keeping the offensive player away from his chest. Um, this is something you want to do against those guys who are longer, who are taller. You want to get into their chest so they can't really challenge you or, you know, they can't, you know, adjust your shot. But I think like defensively, he's going to show something that a lot of people haven't seen. Obviously, yes, he's going to get stronger. I don't think he needs to get big or bulky. No, yeah. just get stronger, stay lean, stay healthy, continue to do what you have been doing. Trust the process. That's why I think in three years, as he continues to mature and develop, like he's still adolescence. He's still going through changes with his body naturally puberty 18 years old 19 years old this is what you do i think when i was 18 years old um i, I was uh 5 or 6 foot i was a senior in high school um and then by the time i signed my letter of intent to go to college so after one summer i went from 6 foot to 6 foot 2 so okay it's only 2 inches but like that gives you an idea that like you're still growing and maturing mentally not just height wise but physically weight everything so i think the defensive prowess that he he will be able to show will be special. He'll be a guy who's capable of winning defensive player of the year, but also um, MVP, you know, of the lead. And we haven't seen that since Michael Jordan. Like he was the last one, I think, to win both um, of those awards. Yeah, Vic is going to be special. Uh, let's talk about some Euroleague basketball right now. And before we are heading to... Uh, EuroLeague offseason and free agency topic. Uh, Nikos made one of their biggest first official moves. They already announced some uh, Greek players, but of course, Luka, Luka Valdoza is the first uh, the first 
big signing, uh, big import signing uh, they made, three-year deal, as it was officially reported by the club. Uh, what are your first thoughts about this move? What kind of tone it sets for the rest of the the, the roster that that might be built in Athens by Ergin Ataman? I think they were um, eager to secure a point guard. We saw in the market this year that there was a shortage of point guards, um, and that's when you see, you know, when guys were coming back from the NBA, a lot of teams eager, a lot of teams, you know, looking to make changes. Um, and it's just a tough position. You know, it's a lot of responsibility. And I think that they were getting someone who you know, has experience, um, who can play the pick and roll, who's a solid player. And he showed some of his talent um, in Red Star. And they wanted to secure that and you know, to make things easier. I'm not sure you know, how much of a fit he is for Ottoman. I think he is a good player. I think he is a good creator. Ottoman usually likes his guards that score a little bit more. Um, but, you know, maybe if he can put alongside, you know, another complimentary piece who's a big scorer, I think it could be a good fit. I mean, you look at me, Stace, you look at Larkin, those are big time scores. Um, even if you go back when I played for him, big scorer, Carlos Arroyo, like he's had guards who can really put the ball in a hoop. So I think Rodoza's a really good player. Um, but I think he's Uh, he can create, he can do those type of things, but I don't think he's a big time scorer per se. I don't think no one would put him in that category. So we'll see how it works. We'll see how it transitions. But I do, I do like to sign it because anytime you can secure a, a starting level point guard, um, in the early, you kind of have to jump the trigger because you don't want to wait, get in bidding wars and maybe miss out on the guy and be stuck with maybe a third or fourth option. Yeah. You made good points about, uh, saying that he's not that. 100% type of Ataman's guard because uh, I've actually heard uh, rumors uh, that uh, Bildoza was basically probably was signed before they reached an agreement with Ergin Ataman. So it might have been the decision made not by the new coach, but by the administration, by the front office people. Which, which is not surprising in Europe. That's that's how it works. And even in the NBA, they, they, they move pieces not necessarily uh, wanting to please what the head coach wants. So that's okay. And we, we're still not sure if he's going to be the starting guard or not. Although if the information that is spread about his contract suggests that he should be a starter, well... But we'll see. We'll see. This, this, as you mentioned, this point guard market was a bit uh, unpredictable. A, a lot of uh, players were either on expiring uh, on under contracts uh, or, or or locked uh, in some teams. Like for example, nobody knew that Kevin Pangos will hit the free agency. Costas Lucas. Everybody took it for granted that he's gonna stay. Now he's on the market. Although you couldn't expect him to move from Olympiakos to Panathinaikos, but 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 still. Uh, and now yes, apparently there is. Ayulis did the opposite. <laughs> Why not? But you know, Lucas is different. I mean, Spanulis <laughs> was was young dog when he made this move. He wanted to become an alpha dog. Lucas is True. like, how old? Thirty four. I mean, he he wants peace in his life. I guess nobody wants uh, to suffer this one more time moving from Panathinaikos to Olympiakos. It would be too tough to handle, probably. Especially if, I'm, if I'm old, I mean, if I'm thirty four, <laughs> I I don't want anything. Like that. So let's <laughs> let's say that he's not considering Pantnikos uh, very seriously. And now we have the situation where apparently Darius Thompson, who's also under the contract with Basconia, uh, but probably he will be bought out by one of the Euroleague powerhouses. So yeah, Pantnikos ma made a move in advance because uh, the situation was also connected to the point guard market. 
Uh, okay, I have five, I would say hottest names, maybe some argue with me, but at least for sure five of top 10 hottest names in, in uh, this summer market. And we'll try to find the either the best fit or let's say the most intriguing destination for these players from our perspective, for our personal uh, reasons. And let's start from the guy that we already mentioned, Kostas Lukas. Uh, this is a very interesting situation. Everybody thought that he's going to extend the contract with Olympiakos, but there are some disagreements uh, in some situations, and it's very, it's really highly likely that he might move. Where would you see him landing? He had to leave. Um, I, I have read reports, you know, that, you know, maybe Clayton stays in Finner, maybe he doesn't, but I do think he would be really good into the system. I mean, he's a guy that can play the pick and roll. He can create, he gives him another dimension. He's a good shooter. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Clayton if he's staying, if he's not, but, you know, it'll be a reunion going back to Finner. Um, you know, he's already familiar there. He had lots of success with Abradovich. You know, I think he would be welcomed. Um, you know, they have the, the money. And, you know, he wouldn't have that pressure, like like you mentioned, going to Panathinaikos or, you know, having to deal with that internal pressure. And then sometimes for local players, it's a relief to leave your country. Um, there's so much pressure being put on. I know talking to some teammates, talking to guys, when you play in your home country, like you understand everything that's being written and spoken about you. Sometimes it's hard on your family, everything. Kind of get away, give you a refresher. I know for American players. Like, I don't know half the stuff they say about me, good or bad. So I just, I sleep peacefully, <laughs> but it's a little different when, you know, those things, you know, hurt or, you know, your family gets offended and, you know, you know, fans can be cruel. So it's, it's not an easy situation. Yeah. Fenerbahce would make a lot of sense. He didn't even, at least he tried not to celebrate this game winner in the EuroLeague playoff series when he hit that shot in Istanbul. He played there, he knows everything out there, and for sure, I think that they would be glad to have him in Fenerbahce. At the same time, from what I understand, he wants more playing time and to play big minutes more consistently. So, not sure how it would go with this Fenerbahce rotation. We don't know if Kalaitis is staying or not. We don't know if Dorsey is staying or not, because if at least most of these guys are staying, there's also... Uh, Scotty Wilbekin, there's also Marco Gudrich who can handle the ball. It's not sure how it would please one of the, his priorities. Then I thought about FS actually. FS was the team who was about, okay, we pay you a lot, but we give you to play 35 minutes per game uh, for the entire year. And that's how it went with uh, Wilbekin, uh, Clyburn and, and Mitic, and then later with Shane Larkin when he returned from the injury. But at the same time, I don't know how it goes with coach with the new coach Erdem John. If he likes to play, you know, uh, if he likes to rotate his players, or he if he heavily uh, trusts his core players. Not sure how it goes with with the, uh, with his uh, approach. I heard rumors that he might be moving to Spain, but again, Real Madrid. It feels like they signed Facundo Campasso. Of course, if you have money, if you have you know, flexibility to also add Costas Lucas to your backcourt, which already has like 10 players uh, on the roster. That's cool. I go with Lucas, but at the same time, can Lucas expect a lot of playing time there where they have 20 players? Not really. So then I thought that maybe it's Barca because Sharas for sure, as somebody who uh, followed uh, Jelko Bradovic's footsteps, 
you could see some sense, you know, Slukas also thrived uh, under uh, Jelko Bradovic and such a smart player like Slukas would definitely fit Barcelona, but now he's gone. So it's a very interesting situation. So that, that's why I'm so surprised that he's, he's leaving Olympiacos because for me, it doesn't look like there's, you know, some great spots uh, for him to move. But unless Fenerbahce will do some big moves with Dorsey or uh, Kalaitis as well. And if, and if he wants minutes, he should stay away from Spain just because the Spanish style is to exactly. rotate players. Doesn't matter what team it is. Like they like to keep the minutes low. You're in that 20 to 23 minute range. And then at Real Madrid, there's so many players. It's even harder. So like if it's about money or if it's about minutes, you know, he, he's going to make a decision for himself. He's going to see, but I know how Barjoka's style is. Like you sit out maybe the whole first quarter and then you play 10 minutes straight, then you sit out the whole third quarter, then you play 10 minutes straight. So it's, it's a lot to change with another hidden place that I think could be a good fit for him is Partizan. You know, he's already been mm -hmm. with Jericho. Um, they've been able to find money in new ways. Um, and I think a lot of that is dependent upon, you know, if Punter is able to go there or if he's going to leave. You know, obviously that opens up a lot of money. There's minutes there. They do need to pick a role player. He'll have the ball in his hands. You know, that could be definitely intriguing. The only thing I don't like about Ephes is it's two two guards who are smaller, who are not defensive yeah. players. So I like Shane with Mises because Mises is a bigger guard. He's 6'5". So I think you need to go with a bigger guard to pair with Shane so that he can get the smaller matchup. He doesn't have to exert so much energy all the time, you know, because he's going to be carrying a lot of the load, especially with Mises, you know, departing, you know, if he is to leave or not. Yeah. I also had Partizan on my list, but there's this question of money and also they're playing on a wild card. So probably it's it's hard to expect to sign a two-year contract. Even a two-year contract is questionable without knowing the future uh, of the club in the Euroleague Euro Euro organization. So it's a tricky situation. The second big free agent that we have is Kevin Punter. What are your feelings about his potential, potential destination uh, let's say, thinking that probably his contract for Partizan now is too heavy because Punter, in my eyes, he should be the the hottest, the number one free agent uh, during this offseason. Yeah. yeah, Punter is special. Um, the way he can score the basketball, the high-level difficulty shots. I think this year you started to see some growth in him, um, putting it on the floor, getting to the rim. He always was an excellent shooter, the pull-up game. But now he showed that he was playing the pick and roll a little bit, started to add a new dimension. And then I liked his leadership. You know, he took a team that was relatively young and, you know, helped put them in a position that a lot of guys weren't used to being in. Uh, and he carried them. Um, he showed what he can do in the big moments, the crunch time. You know, I think he for sure is the number one free agent and all the big offers, all the money you're seeing attached to him. He, he's deserving. Um, he, he put on the show and I think it even helped his value by seeing what happens when he sits out, you know, with the unfortunate suspension, it showed how valuable he was to that team, you know, with one guy being missing and things just kind of unraveling. Um, for me, I did love how Abravich used him, um, all the different sets, the movements, getting him the ball in different situations, making him a score different ways. You know, obviously he would probably like to return there, but I think he would be really good with Ottoman um, and Panathinaikos. Um, he gets free Wayne. He's going to play 35 minutes a night. He's going to put them in situations with the ball, allowing him to attack a lot of middle pick and rolls. A lot of um, Ottoman likes to pair you with a big who can shoot. So it makes it difficult for you to, to trap. 
um, or to bring that attention on him with a hard hedge if you have a four or five man who can really shoot the ball. And I'm sure that's what he's looking for in the market. But I would really like like to see him there. And then the third place is like it's not as much uh, attractive as a Partizan or Pentanagos, but I feel like he fit in well there. It was his first run at making his name um, in the Euroleague, you know, Obviously, he was at Olympiacos, but this is where he really kind of established himself. And that's Milan. I think um, they didn't live up to the hype. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Uh, when Shabazz Napier came, they really started to turn a corner um, and they showed who they could be. And I think having a guy who could score the ball, like Punter, for a team that struggled so much in scoring, especially when Shields got injured, I think he would be like a, a vaccine for them, like someone that you inject into the offense. When things aren't working, when plays break down, he's a guy that can kind of change everything. And, you know, that's, that's the third option for I can see him fitting in real well. But that, that Pentathenaikos option, it's really appealing. The money is there. He will be the face of the program. Everything he can make that home. Athens is a great city. You know, Belgrade is too. You know, don't get me wrong, but that's just something that, you know, really interesting. And partisan, like you said, being a wild card, you know, I believe they'll always be your elite you know, with that crowd, with the product they put, but you never know. With Panathinaikos, you know, they have that A license. You know, every year they're going to be there. They can give them a two or three year deal and feel comfortable with the money. Yeah, as as you said, it feels like it's 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 his destiny to go to Panathinaikos with Ataman being in love with the players who can uh, execute the freedom uh, they get. Uh, he's so smart. Uh, he also he's a great guy to start the project at, as we saw in Partizan, uh, follow, uh, leading by example, uh, becoming a captain of Partizan team for the first time in the history of the club. The import player was uh, was the captain of the club. It speaks uh, volumes uh, to his leadership as well. Uh, and and yeah, he's a, just a perfect scorer for Ataman and for the team, which is on a big rebuild and needs. Uh, to f perform quick and in, in, in a year or two, they must be in the final four and to have a legit shot at winning the title. So it would be a perfect connection uh, for him. I saw rumors about Real Madrid. I'm not sure how legit they are. Uh, again, I just think that they have too many options uh, on that team with Campasso also coming up. Of course, it would be a perfect combination as well. But Jalan Musa also had a great season last year. So I'm not sure if that makes so much sense uh, for for them to go punter again. If you have this, uh, you know, ability to sign Kevin Punter, I'm signing him any any day on any uh, given club. But Panaikos makes more sense to me. I had Barcelona in this list. I thought that somebody, if if Charles would try to sign him for Barca, maybe Jelko would help him to recruit him over there. And I see him as a great fit next to Tomasz Satranski. But again, with him being gone, with Roger Grimau taking over, I don't expect Barca making big moves like this. And you mentioned Milan, and it's and it's really interesting destination. I just had this follow-up question to you. If you have a chance to sign Nikola Mirotic or Kevin Punter for this particular Milan team, with having Shavon Shields, as you're one of the basically key playmaker, and then potentially Shabazz Napier is staying, at least that's the desire of the club. You also have Nicola Melli. Wh who do you choose? Mirotic or Panther? Ooh, that's tough. I like them both. I just know 
what punter looks like in the Cena system. I seen it. He scored like 14 points a game. He shot the three over 40%. He had some big time shots. He was instrumental in helping them get to the final four. And for me, a proven commodity is always better knowing the system. I know Miritich is going to play great. You know, you know what he does night in and night out. But I feel like guards kind of control the outcome of games, especially in the big moments in the crunch time. And for me, I'm always going to go with an elite guard over an elite big. It's just my opinion. You know, nothing against Miritich. I think he's one of the best bigs in the in the yearly, one of the best players. But um, Punter has like the rhythm, the form. Uh, right now, he has all the juice. Like, I mean, he he was unstoppable in the playoffs, and he was great all year. And I think he's going to continue to get better. Yeah, I agree with you because they already have Nicola Melli, and I'm not a big believer of teams basically investing uh, the large cap of their money for, for on the front line. Uh, Melli is over 2 million. Mirotic also would be somebody over 2 million. I just don't think that the front line wins you the EuroLeague or wins you the title. So I would rather invest in a backcourt stars and would put somebody um, maybe defensive-minded or you know versatile big man next to Nicola Melli and it would make a great, great uh, lineup. Mm -hmm. uh, the next guy I mean I remember that before the last year you tried to warn us about Darius Thompson and that he might be good now one year later uh, your former teammate is becoming one of the hottest uh, names in the free agency where you would wish him to go if he asks your advice and he has all the offers on his table for the same amount of money which team you would uh, advise him to go to? Yeah, I, I tried to warn everyone. Like people think I'm biased, <laughs> but you know, I, I see it. You know, I, I studied the game, and you know, I knew Darius was special. Like I knew he would make an impact. For me, there's there's really three teams that stand out. Um, one is Milan. Um, I feel like him with Shabazz. He put a taller guard. Darius is about six five. With Shabazz, two playmakers, two guys who can make things happen. He's good defensively. Obviously, you've seen what he does passing the ball, led to your lead in assists, good in the pick and roll. He can shoot the basketball too. You can't go under. You have He can make all the passes at his height. Um, he rebounds the ball extraordinarily well. To me, he's like what Nick Kalathis was in those Panathinaikos days, but a better shooter and more athletic. So, like, that's what I see a guy who can get you 12 to 13 points, six to eight assists five to six rebounds angle guard, the best opposing guard on the other team, right? These guys are rare. You know, these, these are seven figure players. Right? So I feel like he can give another playmaker, which is Milan lot. Uh, that's why they brought in Shabazz that year. Like things just weren't going right. They weren't getting enough creation. You know, one injury happens to a guy like Shields and that team just goes down the drain. And then you get uh, Napier back and things kind of fix it. So I think they need another playmaker. He would be perfect there. His wife's Italian. She's from Italy. I mean, it's, he speaks the language. Um, he had been studying Italian since I was playing with him in local. Wife was helping him. He had a tutor. Like I, it's an ideal situation. The number two situation, you know, I, and it pains me to say because they beat us in the finals. Yeah, you know, I don't want them to be any stronger, but it's it's Ephes. I mean, you put him next to Shane Larkin. He's more of a playmaker, more a creator. You can let Shane be that killer, that scorer that he is. 
You can put Darius on the bigger guard. He's defensive minded. He doesn't care about shots. You know, he can score. He can go get you 18 to 20 points, but he's content to just run the team, to pass, to create, to defend, and to take what's there. He's a good fit. I think in FS, they had too many people who were aggressive. Um, Misich is extremely aggressive. Um, Shane's a little bit aggressive. Will Clyburn is aggressive. And I feel like it kind of disrupted the flow. I think if you throw in a Darius Thompson, it allows Will Clyburn and Shane to be themselves to be aggressive. And then you have somebody who's a balance and who kind of like resets the tempo for them and allows them to just be those, those killers that they are. So I, I really like him there. And then third, and I think he would be, you know, really good there. And, you know, maybe the fit isn't, you know, perfect, but, you know, there's potential for him there. And, you know, I can see him having success. It's Panathinaikos. Um, maybe not so much now with Vadoza there, but before they had Vadoza, because mm-hmm. I feel now they need a pure scorer. Uh, that's why I like Panathinaikos. But before they had Vadoza, they would have waited in the market. Like if you, He would have been good with Ottoman. Because if you put him with another score, he's a guy that can play mate, that can create. He has size. He does different type of things. I think he would have been good there. Um, but he also needs to be next to a peer score. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Partizan comes knocking on his door. Um, you know, they were after him last year between Bascogne and Partizan. And, you know, they, I still believe that um, if they had like another point guard who could also create, who could make things happen, make Punter's job easier, you know, it could make them really special. And Abramovich is a guy who lifts players up, who takes the career to another level. And, you know, him playing under Abramovich would be special to see. But for me, it's Milan or it's Ephes. I mean, it's those two teams. Those are ideal fits. Um, they have the money. Um, it's good cities. It's respectable teams, teams that can contend for a Final Four. Those, that's why I would recommend him to go if he ever asked me. Yeah, it, it feels like that Darius is so valuable available in today's EuroLeague. You mentioned all those teams. Okay, Panthinaikos, as you mentioned, they signed Bildoza, a different type of combo guard who can also score, but he's a different type of player than Shane Larkin, Mike James, or Kevin Punter. But many of these teams have has, has these pure scorers. And now you can bring this tall floor general who can also play defense, who is great fit next to the scorer. It's really hard to find the point guard like him. I think that that's how Vasilya Misic built up his name throughout the years in FS, where he was more of a combo guard when he became more of a scorer, but he also could have offered this ability, you know, to, to be a floor general and to play next to the scorer. That's how they were successful with Shane Larkin in FS. So Darius Thompson, having Will Clyburn and Shane Larkin, I don't want... Uh, one more ball hogger, let's say. And what Darius Thompson managed to prove in in Basconia that he can be very efficient, uh, not scoring the ball, not being being the main uh, guy to score the ball. He was averaging thirty two point six points per game uh, from scoring and points scored after his assists. That's the yearly high in the second uh, round of EuroLeague, in the second part of the regular season. And he had the lowest usage per- uh, percentage among the top seven players in this category. And to me, I mean, and he thrived playing next to Marcus Howard. So I just really believe that he would be a great fit for FS. I also heard that FS really likes him a lot. At the same time, he's 
he has some attention from the NBA teams and that's why he's still putting things all on hold a little bit. But if only Vasilya Misic uh, goes to the NBA, where, whether it's OKC or any other team that he will be traded to, I really think that FS should target him as their number one point guard uh, in the market and he would be a really great fit uh, for this group of guys. Yeah, and as you said, he's perfect next to scores. I mean, if you go back to his Casa Brindisi days, he was with uh, D'Angelo Harrison, who's a scorer. Um, for two In years local, ago, he was playing next to you and he really he had, succeeded. So He had a great season. Then Marcus Howard, so like for him playing with the Larkin, um, there's nothing new to him. Playing with the Shields, there's nothing new to him. He's used to being um, a primary ball handler, but a secondary offensive uh, threat or offense when it comes to scoring. And he's extremely unselfish. I mean, he's he's the ideal player to have. And he's a freak athlete too. Like uh, a lot of people don't notice it or see it, but he's extremely fast. He's excellent in transition. He can play in the half court as well. Um, and he can finish above bigs. So um, it's an easy choice um, if you're a team and you covet um, exceptional point guard play. I think that's the guy you go after. You know, he was much cheaper last year. I tried to tell people to get him, but now you're going to have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And of course, he deserved that. Uh, I put two guys in one line because I couldn't leave one of them out of this top five. And I will try to put you in this uncomfortable situation. If you're the GM of the club, and again, for the same amount of money, you have a chance to sign Brandon Davis or Matthias Lazort, which center you would go after? It's, it's a very uh. tricky situation because one is basically on his peak. After this year in Partizan, he, Matthias Lazort had an amazing season. Very efficient, one of the most efficient players in the EuroLeague. While Brandon Davis, he didn't have a successful uh ending in barcelona and then this year in milan was was really strange so there's a lot of let's say recency bias involved but you have to be smart you have to be a smart gm which center you're yes. signing so for me I, I i love both of those players games i think they're extremely talented um, i love what they bring you know Zort brings that energy um rebounding that toughness that ferocity like he's going to die on the court for his team. He's going to do everything he can. And he's extremely athletic. He's, he's a bull. Um, Davis is a little bit more skilled. Um, he's really good in the short row and the pick and pop situations, that mid-range jumper. You know, as you saw those years in Zagiris and some of Barcelona, he was really good back to basket, facing up against bigs, scoring. So they're two different styles of bigs. So I'll say this for Panathinaikos, me knowing Ottoman style playing for him for two and a half years, I would go with Davis because he's extremely good. Um, in the short row, you've seen him do it with Sertash, uh, Sonali at um, Barcelona. He helped get him easy shots all game at that free throw area, you know, playing in the pick and roll with Misic and Larkin, you know, getting in those actions at those little elbow jumpers. I think Davis would thrive in that, in that system with a good lead guard. Imagine Punter and Davis playing that middle pick and roll and, and Davis short rolling, little mid-range jumper, team scared. You got to give up that jumper. You got to give up punter coming off the screen, going to his pull up. Like it's it's tough. But for any other team, I will go with Lassert. Um, He just wants it. You could tell like he plays like he has something to prove. Um, he's also at a point in his career where now he's starting to get to the big contracts, trying trying to get to the to high level. And I think guys like that oftentimes play with that chip and they're hungry. Uh, there's guys who've been paid a lot of money and they still come and bring it every night. But the way he plays, I haven't seen a motor effort or energy like this 
um, since I've been overseas. Um, he he's the hardest playing big man in Europe, and it's not even debatable. Like I think, and it seems like he doesn't get tired. I mean, he played big minutes at Partizan, and he still was rebounding at a high rate. He still was scoring. He still dunking, swinging on the rim, screaming at the crowd, and he's someone that can get the whole fan base engaged. So for me, minus Panathinaikos, all the other teams in the league, he's the guy I'm going for. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. It, it depends a lot on the team that you have. And for for instance, I see Matthias Lazard as a perfect team, uh, perfect fit for the team like Maccabi Tel Aviv, uh, a big man who can who can roll, who brings this whole energy. It would be a perfect uh, fit for for the backcourt like Lorenzo Brown and and Wade Bolvin, mm -hmm. uh, Brandon Davis. If you need more versatility, uh, you go to teams like Panathinaikos. Uh, the thing with Matthias Lazard, the I wouldn't call it an issue, but the issue for his market stock is that I think he's a big man who requires playing big minutes. That's when he feels feels himself the best. That's where he can bring the most efficiency to his team. And I think that that was the problem for him in his previous uh, tries in, in in the Euroleague, like in Maccabi itself uh, last year, where he didn't have. A big role, and he couldn't, you know, show all of his capabilities. So let's let's say, looking at this free agency picture, it's hard to imagine Matias Lazard going to Madrid. Although he would be a very interesting fit to, next to Eddie Tavares, I'm not sure how he would feel playing less than 20 minutes. The same goes with Olympiakos is is, is closed. It's 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 done already. Uh, Fenerbahce next to Jonathan Motley. I'm not sure they uh, he needs that kind of situation. So. So he has to go somewhere where he gets big minutes. I think that he would be okay for Panaikos. Uh, I would love to see him in Maccabi, but for sure, if there's a chance for Partizan to keep him, that would be the best for the player and for the club if they manage to find this financial uh, agreement. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree for sure. And the last hot free agent that we have is the one we already discussed a little bit, uh, Nikola Mirotic. Basically, there are. If if we would rely on the on the reports uh, on media, uh, three main teams were mentioned that could be in a race for Mirotic. It's Olympiakos if Sasha Vezenkov uh, leaves for the Sacramento Kicks. It's Monaco and it's Milan. How would you rank these three teams in terms of finding the best fit for for Mirotic? For for me. I would say Milan number one, um, only because it's a known commodity. Um, you know how they play. Um, if they bring back Shabazz Napier, I think those two would be excellent, you know, in pick and pop situations and in pick and roll situations. Um, Shabazz is a guy who can score, but, you know, he naturally wants to pass. Um, I think that they can kind of hide some of his defensive deficiencies, um, you know, with other guys, with the length, with, you know, things of that nature. Um, it's not that I don't like Monaco, but I feel like they have enough scoring. Like, you know, Okobo, Lloyd, Mike James, I feel like you have all that there. They do desperately need shooting, um, but I would prefer them to have a guy who can really shoot, who doesn't need touches, if that makes sense. Not a guy that you run the offense through, just a guy who provides the proper spacing and allows you to go heavy with your three-guard lineup. That giving you so much success. You know, if you bring a guy like Miritich, it kind of takes away what Monaco does and it changes their whole offensive game plan because he's so talented. You don't sign a guy like that, pay $3 million or $2.5 million 
and tell him to stand and spot up and wait for the ball. Like that's a guy that you have to give the ball to. But then if you give the ball to him, who gets the ball less? And you've already seen that you've had success. You won the French title. You went to the year league final four. Are you going to tell Mike James he gets the ball less? You're going to tell Leah Kobo less, Jordan Lloyd less after we just came off a final four run? I think not. So for me, that's why I don't like that. I feel like in Milan, they'll be more receptive to him because they did not have success. They did not get to that level. Oftentimes, when you're a new big name coming to a team that's already done it, you have a Draymond Green situation when Kevin Durant is there. We won a championship without you. We don't need you. And they can get to that point if a guy is changing the style of play too much and it's coming at the cost of wins or other guys feeling involved in a game. So that's why I say that's number one for me. Monaco would be number two, um, if that makes you know sense. Just my opinion and just how I kind of see things shifting. But Milan was just so bad offensively at m- multiple points this year that they needed somebody who can manufacture offense. And he's a guy that I can throw the ball into the post. I can do pick and pop with. He draws fouls and he shifts the whole defense. Um, he's what you call um, uh, a guy that you have to game plan for, but also a guy that you have to bring help defenders for. And that's going to allow those other players to get open shots, easy opportunities, mainly getting spot up jumpers. If Billy Barron's there, him getting his spot up shots, like easy offense. I feel like Milan just had to work too hard offensively just to manufacture buckets. When you mentioned all those things about Monaco, I, I already can see the picture one year from now, Mike James, Elio Kobo, Jordan Lloyd, and Nikola Miritich taking a picture with the Euroleague title and then tweeting <laughs> only one ball was needed. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a hilarious but great tweet because we were questioning them from the beginning. Even Mike himself, he had some questions uh, how that will work, will work. So, yeah, that would be a hell of an adjustment for... I, I, feel, I would feel bad for Coach Sasha Bradovich. You know, having to deal with these, with these, with these guys, with these gentlemen. Uh, at the same time, I agree with with your points, but from the excitement uh, part, uh, as a media person, I would really like to have Mirotic on on Monaco squad. It would add a lot of excitement, a lot of a lot of stuff. Probably, it would be one of the most hated teams in the year league because you have Mike James on the roster and then Nikola Mirotic who doesn't have a, the best image, I would say, among the fans would join them uh, to make this, again, Monaco team, team built from from scratch, from nothing, uh, suddenly a championship contender. And there's this thing about hate and Nikola Mirotic. Uh, watching this, maybe it's a problem of the Twitter bubble that I have on my Twitter feed. Uh but there's this feeling that a lot of people, a lot of basketball fans, first of all, treat Nikola Mirotic and the Barcelona story as a failure, uh, as let's say top paid player in Europe for the last few years, not bringing a single EuroLeague title, uh, according to them choking in the most important uh, moments uh, of, of, of the season of Barcelona. Uh, that's, that's their arguments evaluating Nikola Mirotic. What do you think about this whole Nikola Mirotic project when he landed in Barcelona in 2019 with all these expectations uh, and the way, you know, it it went and the way it ended as well, because that's important part we have to address uh, uh, regarding the job security that players don't have here in Europe. I think he was excellent um, individually. 
Um, he showed he was unguardable. Um, he shot the ball at amazing splits, um, always efficient from the two-point shot, from the three, from the free throw line. Um, he demanded double teams oftentimes on the block. He was too big for fours. Um, he was too mobile or you know, too good a spacer when it came to shooting for the five position. I think he was used correctly too. Um, he got a lot of touches in Barcelona. You know, Serena's made sure that you know he was heavily involved. Um, I feel like the usage was a little bit less as the years continued to go on compared to his first year there. But um, he did a good job with them. I think oftentimes there's so much pressure on a guy when you're paying him. I mean, I don't know, over $5 million, like you expect a title. I get it. But I mean, your team budget was over $35 million-ish. Um, he's not alone. He's not the only guy. You know, you're paying also a lot of other guys a lot of money. So it's not solely on him. You know, what about all those times guys underperformed and he carried them? You know, he helped put them in that position. He helped keep them there. You got to remember, this is a guy who was battling some type of Achilles injury, missed a great portion of the season, and he rushed back trying to make sure he could help his team and play. You know, that showed his character. You know, the other guys making that type of money, you know, might really take their time coming back. You know, they got multi-year deals. They have big money. You know, he's in Barcelona. This is a good time for your family. You know, but he showed that he's a guy that likes to compete, you know, and came back, um, you know, didn't get a surgery or nothing, but that helped speed up the recovery, I believe, and, you know, put him in position to play. So, yeah, would you like to see him win a championship? Of course, you know, one of the best talents in Europe, for sure, highest paid. But I think um, they had moments, they had opportunities, and he didn't play well in the last game. I don't really consider it choking, just because in basketball, like, there's so many things that can happen. Like, you can prepare properly. You don't feel nervous. You don't feel anything. And you just might have a day where the defense does a good job when you miss shots. Um, so, you know, I get if Barcelona paid him that money thinking we guaranteed a year lead, of course, they're going to think it was a choke or it was a problem. But it wasn't like sometimes you play against a team that's better than you or uh, matchups or everything. Um, I believe if it was a series, Barcelona hosts, hosts that trophy. And Serona's probably has more than one year lead in his tenure at Barcelona. But since it's Final Four format, I mean, anything can happen. And as we saw, usually they were on the bad side of things happening. Yeah. I've checked stats since 2019 and Nikola Mirotic led the EuroLeague in efficiency. Uh, he was, his efficiency average since 2019 was 19.6. That's, that's solid. He was also third in scoring behind Mike James and Alexis Schwed. Uh, the, and he was averaging, in, in the last four years, he was averaging almost 17 points. And the other big man closest to, to him was and is Sasha Vizenkov with 13 uh, per game. Shengelia ranks third among the bigs with 12. So that's not easy for bigs to produce these numbers. And what's more remarkable that he uh, averaged almost 17 points on 62% from two points and 40% from three points. So that's a MVP hell of an efficiency. Like yeah, exactly. That's why he also got this MVP award. Uh, he was seventh in rebounding since 2019, fifth in total rebounds, uh, sixth in total three-pointers uh, made. Then he came in 2019, the EuroLeague season was cut short due to COVID. But then uh, it's hard to count that COVID ACB title that Basconia won because it was in fourth major, uh, it was played under fourth major uh, conditions. But the, in three following years, he made three final fours, he won uh, two ACB titles, two Copa del Rey titles. And uh, once again, it's it's very hard to judge players based on two-game weekend because there's this narrative that 
Nikola Mirotic went to six Final Fours and didn't win a single title, but at the same time, his first three Final Four appearances were in Real Madrid, uh, where he was like 20, 21, 22 years old before leaving to NBA. So it's 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 unfair to judge uh, okay. him not winning the title when he was just one, one of the guys on long, long Real Madrid bench. Here in Barca, the expectations were different. But again, I'm a big believer in the process. I'm always supporting the process over the final result, which can be impacted by so many uh, different factors. But there's this one thing which I'm not blaming Nikola Mirotic. I'm not blaming uh, any player in, in this situation. But to pay 5 million euros, over 5 million euros to one player, I think in Europe, it's a mistake because basically for five millions, the last year for five millions, you could get Mike James, Will Clyburn, Darius Thompson, and I don't know, Nigel Hayes Davis or any other great big. So you basically That's have a great roster. That's a great an roster. amazing <laughs> starting lineup. So <laughs> in Europe, it just doesn't make any sense to spend so much money. And of course, Barca made a lot of noise by this signing because Mirotic had this great deal with Utah Jazz uh, in place, but he rejected that offer. He accepted Barcelona offer and it was a big shocker in the EuroLeague market, which was great for the EuroLeague basketball that, you know, we could compete with the NBA and they were giving a great contract as well in there in Utah. So that was great. But if you try to be smart, in Europe, it doesn't make any sense. So if anybody has any complaints, I would address those complaints to the front office from 2019 that in, in Barca, they decided to go with this move. And I think that Mirotic was carrying this big chip on his shoulder, but again, it's not his fault that somebody had some expectations. You know, He didn't become mm -hmm. a better player whether he was making 5 million a year, 10 million a year, or 1 million a year. So. I think that it was just a mistake by Barcelona front office. And I think that, I mean, there's this another topic, the salary cap that might be introduced in the EuroLeague. And from what I understood, although the, as the new, newly elected EuroLeague CEO, Paulus Matunas mentioned, although that they're in advanced processes of finally establishing the salary cap, there are still some meetings that have to be done. There are still still some, you know, demands that have to be pleased and accepted. Uh, and it's not clear yet, although the meetings are taking place right now and, and during this offseason, it's not clear when and what kind of salary cap we will have, how it's going to work. But I think that, again, I'm speaking of players' defense. If we're talking about the salary cap, then we have to ensure somehow that players has this job security. If you make a commitment to, to play for one team, I don't know, for three, for five years, it cannot be like that. After one bad season, let's say the GM, the coach is not happy with you. And then he, he goes and says, hey, we want to you know terminate the contract. You take half of the money you were supposed to get this year, not even counting the following year, the, the remaining years on your contract, but you know, we just want to get rid of you. It shouldn't work this way. Because players signing these long-term contracts, they also, you know, take this into account. I'm accepting the commitment for five years and maybe I'm refusing the better offer for two years because they made, you know, five-year deal. Uh, great job, supposedly great job security for my future here in Europe. So it's, it's not fair uh, from this perspective as well.
Yeah, I don't like the salary cap idea only because um, you see the parity in the early. Um, there was no salary cap, and you see the closeness of the games, how competitive the playoffs were. Um, the basketball pitcher looked excellent, and there was no salary cap there. There was no ceilings. There was nothing stopping it, but it didn't. I think a salary cap will hurt the final pitcher of the game. It's going to stop you from getting some players you know, coming from America who could make a splash. It's going to stop some teams from being able to you know, be as aggressive in the market. Um, it also um, you know, prevents you know, those smaller teams from having to up their game and having to improve themselves. It allows them to be content where they are. And I think for the game to grow and to continuously evolve, um, you need to continue to have no salary cap to allow players to continue to compete, to push for more motivation for guys to get better, for younger players out there to continue to work on their games because they see that they can grow, they can do more. Um, because through the years, Europe hasn't had a lot of stability for coaches or for players. And so for you to want a salary cap when guys don't even know if they're going to get their payment on time or if they're going to have a job next year and they have a two or three year deal, I mean, it's kind of outrageous. And then with the salary cap, you also have to announce numbers, what guys are making, what things are going on. And, you know, I don't think that's, you know, probably, I think one of the pills of being overseas is kind of the privacy, the secluded. It doesn't matter, you know, people don't need to know exactly what you're getting paid and those type of things. Like, we don't know exactly what, you know, people in a year leaving those type of positions, chairmen, all these boards, we don't know what they're making. I think it's better that way just to kind of keep it basketball, um, keep the financial aspect out of it. Yeah. If a team can afford a player, let them go get them. You know, I, we've seen it. The team with the most money doesn't always win. So it's okay. If it was one team continuously winning year after year, like the Celtics back in um, the, the 70s and 80s, okay, like I would understand. Or the Lakers, you're tired of seeing the two teams competing. But we're not. We had a great playoff format. Why change it? We had great up and downs, um, a lot of surprises. So there's no need to kind of throw that twist in there when the yearly product, I think, was at the best that it's been in years. I couldn't expect any different answer from your side, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I only got a few more years left, but I still want to see the young players get paid, uh, be able to put on a good product. You know, I got a, a few years left in me, but I I'm going to always, you know, want the best for the game of basketball, you know, and for those who are putting on the product. And I think, I think a salary cap is a a killer to the growth and it will allow the NBA to continually to grow because their salary cap grows every year and their salary cap is $123 million for a roster. You can go over what's the European salary cap going to be like, it's just not, not realistic. Like unless you're going to have crazy amount of money like the NBA does and invest all this stuff outside of basketball to grow the brand. Just, I don't see no need for it. You know, there's no salary cap in, in football, right? in the Champions League for football and they're very successful one of the most popular leagues in the world so why would we go do it yeah and it's very interesting how they're gonna make it work where I see a lot of threats for the EuroLeague and European basketball in general with free two-way contracts uh, in the NBA with the paychecks increasing in the G League in Australia as well, Japan, they can offer some some good money for mid-level Euroleague players. There's a lot of threats coming uh, worldwide for the Euroleague, so I'm not sure how they're gonna work it out. And I'm really intrigued to hear their arguments, how it's gonna help the league, the European basketball in a long term. Because if that's the case, that's fine. But for now, from this point, I see more 
uh, let's see red flags and benefits to European basketball. So it's going to be interesting to hear their side and how they're going to find those solutions. The last topic I wanted to address, uh, in, in front of me, I see the Team USA roster for the 2023 FIBA World Cup per reports. And there are at least 11 names on it reported. So Paolo, the list includes Paolo Banquero, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anton Edwards, Therese Halliburton, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cam Johnson, Walker Kessler, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. How do you feel about these guys winning the World Cup this year? It's going to be tough. Um, you know, European basketball has continued to grow the landscape. I mean, so many players are such of a talent and high level. I mean, you see it in the NBA with all the international stars, but you also see it with the year elite um, and a lot of guys, you know, in different leagues, Euro Cup, Champions League, whatever the case may be. But, you know, the bridge is closing, the gap is closing. And that's why a lot of these NBA teams are coming over and trying to take and stash that European talent. I think um, they have a lot of young players who are good, but um, the European game is different. You know, we've seen it in the past when you took um, 03. Um, a young LeBron, a young D Wade, a young Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosch, Chris Paul, like these guys were exceptional players, but they were still young and it was a different style of play and they didn't have the success that they wanted. Um, and with this roster, you know, I, I, I like Anthony Edwards, you know, I, I love Brandon Ingram. Like I think those guys are special, um, but I still feel like, you know, they're missing some things. Um, I'm not seeing a, a dominant, uh, point guard you know i like jenna brunson but you know, i'd like to see a dominant point guard really good in the pick and roll um i like to see um better big shooters um paulo can shoot it but he's still young um, he's still kind of finding his way um, i wouldn't say he's an elite shooter i think you need to have you know guys who are not specialty players i think um in europe guys who have the most success coming overseas they're guys who can do a lot of things um and in the NBA, they kind of focus on specialty guys, guys who are exceptional, you know, at one thing or one category. Not to say that they can't do other things, but, you know, it's more of a specialty league where guys struggle. If in Europe, if you can only do scoring or if you can only do shooting or, you know, it's better to have a balance. And I think they could have focused more on that and put some vet leadership in there. This is a very young roster and it's a roster that I don't know where leadership's going to come from. Um, and I don't know who's going to take control in the clutch moments. I think it's going to be. Brandon Ingram, he's the most talented, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see the picture come together. I, I think they need better guard player. Um, their wings are good. Uh, Edwards and Ingram can carry him to a far place, but I want a different point guard and I'd like a different five, but Jaron Jackson is athletic and you know, he can make things happen, but I, I don't know. I just feel like it doesn't seem like a roster that's going to strike a lot of fear. Um, to the European nations, they're going to feel like, oh, we can beat them. Oh, we got a chance. And if you bring a different roster or maybe a couple of different guys here, sometimes guys feel defeated before the game even starts. Which national team do you see as a team to beat uh, among the rest of the world? I think um, if Lorenzo Brown plays, uh, Spain could be there. Um, Willie Herman Gomez is really good. Uh, Lorenzo Brown, you know, they have those pieces. They have uh, continuity. They have guys who've been playing together forever. You got to remember, this is a USA team that's never played together. We just threw them together, go win the World Cup. Like, come on, this is extremely difficult. They don't have 
any chemistry built. They don't even know some of the sets. They don't have a style of play developed yet. Nothing. And they're going to be playing as guys who've been playing with each other since they were 14 years old. Like, it's just it's tough. Huh? Also, like, um, I always like anytime Luca's on the court, they got a chance, you know, uh, you know, just because he's that type of player. Uh, so Slovenia. And then I had to say someone else, Greece. Um, you got Giannis. Um, and you know, they have high level uh, yearly type of players, you know, the Salukases, the Galathis, uh, you know, these type of guys can play. You know, Bob Nicolau, uh, probably Dorsey, I don't know, whatever, but, you know, Greece is definitely a threat. Yeah. Watching this list of team potential Team USA roster, I'm not scared, scared, but at the same time, this team kind of reminds me the 2010 Team USA that won the World Cup in Turkey. Because there was Kevin Durant, uh, a new shining NBA star, and we have Brandon Ingram, somebody closest uh, to his player profile as well. So uh, mm -hmm. maybe these young guys following Brandon, uh, Brandon Ingram's leadership will repeat that run. And I think that a lot of depends on who the rest of the world will have. Because now we have Victor Vembanyama officially announcing that he's not going to play for France. Although I'm not, I don't think that he's a game changer for a French national team, but he's one of the, the first marquee star of the tournament that said that I'm not going to the World Cup. There's, there's Nikola Jokic uh, case where from what I've heard and also I think that it was reported as well that there's very slight chance that he will join Serbian national team. From what I've heard, it's not like 100% clear that Giannis and Tatukumbo will be, will be available for the Greek national team. So all these potential absences are the game changer, uh, game changing factors, both for Team USA and for the rest of the world to challenge uh, Team USA basketball one more time and in the major FIBA competition. So a lot of depends on who, who, who those teams uh, will have. Yeah, you make good points. And I'm happy that we didn't finally we didn't manage to get the third guest on our show because <laughs> we already spoke almost one hour and a half. So you can imagine if we had another guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we would have talked less because we didn't have to feel so much time. Huh? <laughs> That's true. That's true. It was a pleasure to have you on this podcast, Eric, uh, as always. So stay in tuned uh, during this crazy off-season time. Uh, follow basketnews.com. Uh, both on our website and our YouTube channel. We also need many followers on basketnews.com Twitter channel to reach 45K uh, uh, followers. And of course, follow Eric McCollum. He, from time to time, he tweets something interesting, something smart and something worth an attention. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here with you on the show. And you know, I appreciate the shout out. And I hope my, um, Lithuania, my Lithuania fans aren't too upset with me for... Um, you know, some of my predictions throughout the year, but I got love for your guys. Shout out oh, to my boy Kuzmiskis. You made Greek <laughs> fans mad, not Lithuanians. Lithuanians don't care. They weren't in the final four. Greeks were there. So <laughs> yes, they probably were upset. But you know, it was a great year, the yearly basketball, and now we got a exciting off season to look forward to and you know to see things take place in the landscape of the basketball world. Yep. So thanks for watching and see you soon. See you.